0: Let's get started. We've got a lot to cover. First of all, thanks so much everyone for joining in. Uh, you know, this is a bit of an experiment. We'll see how it goes. Um, the idea over here is to explore every day the Midat Hayom, the aspect of, how, of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu as we work our way from the first steps of freedom that we embarked upon over Pesach, and as it takes us towards The ultimate freedom, which is, as the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avot, The true freedom is achieved by a person incorporating within themselves the Torah. And each day um, that we go on our journey from Pesach to Shavuos, we're building along that journey. We're trying to further it within ourselves. Um, And there's there's an amazing Gemara, just to throw in over here, the Gemara in Sanhedrin says... On, on tzaditesim base says anybody who who teaches his friend's son torah it says keilu there's a couple of different opinions over there but one opinion in the gemara there rava says that anyone who teaches another person torah ki'ilu asau latzmo it's as if he made himself it's as if he created himself as it says the pasuk says vasisem osam and that you should do them and it says don't read it vasisem osam Elakri atem, basisem atem, you make yourself. Uh, and I think that's an important thing to realize when we you know enter through the gateway of Torah to understand that that Torah is really a self-creative process. Uh, it's a it's a tool that a, that Khaj Baruch Hu created the world with that not only creates the world but allows us to create ourselves as well. So we talk about the Torah as being a blueprint for reality and instructions for living. But it's also, a, really in a deep sense, it's, a, it's an instructions for self-creation, uh, and, and of course for fulfillment. And so as we kind of work our way through this mission, you know, that the, that the Torah tells us that there's a counting process that we go through. Uh, and We're on day eight right now, so we are a little bit behind on the journey, and we're going to be jumping in a week in. So you'll forgive for not going through the, the first midot uh, of the entire cycle of chesed. We're starting here at Gvura. Um, but just a, a little bit of an understanding, what are these mitos? So what are we trying to, to accomplish over here by studying the mida of the day, right? Most people kind of flip right past that aspect of the of the counting, right? That little writing at the end of the day, you know, whatever that is, and we kind of glance at it, and, and there's that like strange Kabbalistic text that you're supposed to say afterwards, and people don't say it, they do say it. What is really going on over here? So, so I'm going to do something which is really probably not so fair from an academic standpoint, which is that I'm going to turn to the Rambam to understand the the notion of these spherots. Uh, And the reason why I'm saying it's not so academically sound is that the Rambam would not have recognized this aspect of the study the way that we are. But I think that if we kind of take Torah from where we are in the 21st century, We're meant to utilize all of the resources that we have at our disposal to be able to understand what made it within Klal Yisrael, what has become transformative for us, what's become part of our experience uh, of Torah and and Halacha as the journey forward. And so the the idea to me is, with all of the Midot, uh, and again it's pretty uh, simple and and kind of self-explanatory, which is that the Midot are the ways that a Kadosh Baruch Hu is expressing himself within the world. It's the aspects of Hashem that we see manifest within the world. And again, we could spend our lifetimes understanding what that means, that Hashem has aspects which are manifest. Hashem doesn't have aspects. He's a, 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 a total unity, a singularity, unparalleled in the physical universe. But however we understand it, however we would explain the, the, the paradox, we understand that there is something being expressed, which is expressive of the source of being. And those things are measured in quantifiable terms because we live in a physical universe. We measure those things in finite terms. And the finite terms that we use to describe those manifestations are what's referred to as the spherots. Literally the numbers, the countings, the way we enumerate God's manifestations in the world. And the Kabbalists spent much time... Developing a system of how Hashem is manifest in the world. And, and again, a person could spend many, many years studying what that system means, uh, you know, per se. But I want to look at how the Rambam explains to us how we're supposed to study the world. The Rambam says in Hilchus Yisodei Torah, beginning of the second chapter, very well known. The Rambam writes, <speaking in Hebrew> so, We have a mitzvah in the Torah to love Hashem and to fear Hashem. As the Pasach says, So the Rambam says, of course, as with every mitzvah, there's got to be a way to fulfill it. Uh, by the way, I'm going to drop a link to the, uh, to the source text that I have on this if you're interested in following along. It's not necessary, but it might be helpful. So as with every mitzvah, there's got to be a way to fulfill the mitzvah. right? The Torah doesn't just say climb to the moon and not give us a ladder or at least a means to be able to get there. Right? A uh, famous uh, drashas, the Torah loves Shemayim He And if it was on the Shemayim, then you'd have to go get it. And, but Hashem would have given us away. If the Torah it actually asked of us to go to those lengths, there must be a way to actually accomplish it. So the Rambam says, what is the path to coming to love God, to come to have awe and reverence of God? And he says, <laughs> when a person contemplates The incredible, wondrous creation that Hashem has put forth. And he sees that it's a thing that is is limitless and has no boundaries. So he says, At that point, he becomes filled with an unquenchable desire to know God, to connect to Him in a deep way. So you say, Well, Chaim, I mean, that's just talking about love. What about knowledge? I mean, I thought we were talking about getting to know God. Well, the Rambam gives us a little bit of a clue to this at the end of Hilchos Tshuva. If you stick through all the way to the end of Sefer Hamada, you find out that in the last halacha of Sefer Hamada, the Rambam says in the last, in the 10th chapter of Hilchos Tshuva, the Rambam writes that a person, it's well known that the love of God does not become bound into their heart until they contemplate him frequently. And they leave everything in the world aside for focusing on love of God. And he goes on to say, the person only loves God to the degree to which they know him. And commensurate to the knowledge will be the love. Meaning that to the degree to which you know God is the capacity that you have to love him. Okay, so far so good. And says Rambam, therefore, lefichach, Therefore, a person must dedicate himself, singularly commit himself to understand the knowledge and the wisdom, which informs him of his creator, just like I explained, as I explained to you in Hilchot Yesod Torah. In other words, the Rambam saying is that learning how to love God is learning about God himself. To the degree to which we can understand God's expressions in the world, that's what it means for us to know God, and that itself is loving God. So we have this misunderstanding, this, this right? So, but we have to realize that every experience of love is when I'm picking up on the expressions of another entity. They're putting out these expressions, and here I am identifying with the beauty, with the positive virtues, and the aspects of, 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 of good, of quality, that are found within those expressions. And so to the degree to which I open myself and I orient myself towards those positive expressions, towards those virtues that are being put forth, and I identify those qualities, those expressions, as coming from the source of being, as coming from the Matsui Rishon, the source of all of existence, God himself, to that extent I know God, and to that extent I also love God. Meaning if I'm identifying, if I'm on on a quest for, quali- for positive qualities, for virtue, and I'm searching for those things above everything else, as I become aware of those things, I also become to know God, I'm also coming to love God simultaneously. So the reason why I'm putting, putting this out here is because I think it's important to realize that when we're studying the sphero when we're looking at how God manifests himself in the world, we're learning about God himself to whatever degree that we can, we're understanding as far as the human physical world goes, what we can know about God, but it's also synonymous with a deepening relationship with God. And that's really, of course, what Torah is all about. It's the Torah It's here. It's an instructions for living. God wants us to have the ultimate pleasure. To the degree that we know God, we experience that deep pleasure, that understanding of His truth and His existence. We have a deeper understanding of life. We have a deeper understanding of ourselves. And so, kind of taking that orientation uh, a step further... We also know that a very important mitzvah, a, a, an all-encompassing mitzvah that we have, is the mitzvah of the halachta bidrachav, that we have an obligation to walk in God's ways, to emulate the expressions that we find within the world. As the Rambam puts it in Hilchos Deos, he says, We have an obligation to walk in these straight paths, in these, uh, in these praiseworthy and beautiful paths, and he says, where do we, what does that mean? So he says, well, just as God is expressed as compassionate, so too you should be compassionate. Just as he is merciful, you should also strive to be merciful. And how do we know that God's merciful? How do we ever identify him as, as having those nicknames, those qualities? Well, it's because we study the world. We open our eyes and we see, as the prophets always do, when I look to the heavens, the, you know, the works of your handiwork, Ma kitiz karenu, we're always looking to God's expressions to understand the qualities that he wants us to experience. And so not only is it that we're learning about Hakadosh Baruch Hu, that we're understanding in a deeper way about himself, so to speak, and again, as far as we can know him in the world, we're also learning about ourselves and what the proper orientations, the proper attitudes that we're meant to have uh, are supposed to be. So I think that for me, and again, even though the Rambam wouldn't have, have connected it here to the Midos per se, to these Midos yom, uh, but I think it's important to realize that that's essentially what we'd be doing. Meaning if we want to talk about what is Chesed Shebegvura, today's Mida, or tomorrow's as we'll talk about it as well, and Shebegvura, ultimately what we're trying to do is get a deeper understanding of God as manifest in our world, in order that we can love him, in order that we can emulate him, in order that we can bring those qualities and those virtues into our own lives. So that's just an orientation uh, as we're moving our way into into the Midot. So again, we're starting on on day number eight. Um, And today's Midah is Chesed Shibigvurah, which means kindness or the expression of life as manifest in givura. So I want to talk just a little bit to kind of get us in the gate what is givura? right so you know we use that term frequently uh, a gibor is a warrior right it, it it implies might courage valiance right this strength there's certainly a sense of strength there so what would it mean for there to be chesed shibigvurah kindness expressed within might kindness expressed within the warrior so the place that I want to really look with you is, is something that we, we say three times a day, every single day, uh, throughout the calendar, um, and that is the second bracha of Shmona You know the Gemara in Mesech and Megillah calls the second bracha of Shmona Esrei, Gevurot, right? Might. It's the bracha of might. It's the bracha of God's strength. Now, what we might have expected to see there in, in such a bracha is how God shatters mountains and destroys nations. He drowns, you know, peoples at a heartbeat, and he leads his people, you know, mercilessly to fulfill his will. Those are kind of the things that you'd expect to be expressed from someone who's mighty, you know, a warrior, right? All powerful, no one can stop him. Me domelach, melech me and we do say that there's nothing like him. But let's take a look at how the bracha actually proceeds. So we start off the bracha, You are eternally mighty. Okay, that's great. You bring life to the dead. You enliven the inanimate. Oh, I thought that's the opposite of what warriors do. Pretty sure warriors are the ones who bring death to the living. Not the opposite. Sure, rav lahoshia. Bountifully saving. Constantly salvation you sustain life with kindness. you enliven the dead with tremendous mercy. Okay, this is not a warrior anymore, right? We're not talking about a soldier. What, what changed? I thought this is God's Givuros. This is the incredible might that Hashem is expressing. noflim, he supports the fallen. cholim, he heals the sick. He he lets free the bound, the 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 the, chale, the, the you know the the enchained. lishene afar, and he keeps his promise to those who sleep in the dust. Who's going to bring back a a We're not describing a vicious warrior over here. We're descri- describing somebody who cares tremendously. We're describing commitment. We're actually describing love. And we go on to say, Micha Mocha Bal Gvurot. There's nobody like you. So much gvura, so much strength. Umi Domelach Melech nemi So what's going on here in this bracha? I think that we have a, a misconception about strength, right? You know, we it's probably because of our Western upbringing, we associate strength with dominance. We associate strength with having the upper hand, right? So somebody who's the strongest takes the greatest advantage. That's that's capitalism. Um, And we grow up with with this notion that the strongest is going to be the one who's in control. Uh, And there's no question that Hashem is in control over here. But what's being manifest in God's Gevura, and this is all that we're identifying in this bracha, as we walk into the presence of Hashem and we're orienting ourselves for tefillah, we're describing a, a warrior as being someone who cares tremendously. Someone who's committed to life, not to death. And I think that that's what, one of the most important things to recognize. It's probably why it's the first midah of, of the Gvura, Chesed Shebidvurah, is that a warrior fights for life. A warrior doesn't fight for death. He doesn't kill to kill. He kills in order to enliven. He kills in order to, because he's fighting for a value. He's committed to life itself. Now, sometimes that takes the ugly side of war. But as we say in, our, you know, in, in the prophecies of the, you know, the end of days, in Yemot HaMashiach, it will ultimately you know, smash our swords into shields and we, don't, we won't teach war anymore. Where even though the Mashiach is an ultimate warrior who brings the Jewish people back to Israel and fights in the Rambam's language is uh, he fights the wars of God. That's not his goal. He's not trying to fight wars. The true, the true power of the Gibor is his commitment to life itself. And it's the notion that a warrior fights for life. Uh, and I think that this is manifest also in, you know, in, in symbolism. Uh, you know, often you might be familiar with this that uh, you know, Chesed is usually associated with the right side, with the right hand, and Gvura is associated with the left hand. Chesed is is kindness, and gvurah usually connotes Din, right, judgment, which is the harsher side of things, right? In the in the Kabbalistic system, Avraham is corresponds with the Kmita of Chesed. And Yitzchak corresponds to the Mida of Din, of Gevura. So we usually think of Din, Gevura, the, the warrior, as being harsh. Judgment, right? Judgment. Now, of course, anybody who's, who's really studied, you know, how Judaism uh, orients itself towards Rosh Hashanah, the Yemeha Din, knows that judgment is all about love, right? You don't judge what you don't care about, right? It's, it's as simple as that. If it doesn't matter to you, you don't make assessments about its value, To judge itself is an expression of care. But there's a beautiful pasuk in Shir Hashirim, which tells us that the whole orientation of left, right, kindness, judgment, love, harshness, is completely off-kilter. The pasuk in Shir Hashirim says, very famous pasuk, His left hand lies under my head, and his right hand embraces me. The pasuk is using both the left and the right as expressions of love, as expressions of care and consideration. The left hand is supportive, and the right hand is embracing, is bringing close. So whereas the left hand, the Mina of Din, in this pasuk, is what's supporting you. It's, what, it's what's giving you legs to stand on. It's telling you that you matter, that you care, that I don't want you to fall. And I'm going to fight to protect you. I'm going to fight for the life that you, that you express, that you mean to me, is the chesed gvura. The smolotachat loroshi means that when your head is about to hit the hard floor, I'm going to be there to support you. The yimino is what's going to be techabkeni. The right hand, the chesed, which was last week's Mira, is what brings you close to a passionate embrace. But the din, the gvura, the warrior, is there to protect life. Not there to, to squash life, not there to deny life, but to support it. And that's why there's a beautiful medrash in the Pirkei De Rabbi Eliezer, which explains this Pasuk, and it says that the Torah was given in the language of Chiba, in a language of endearment, of passion, of care. A language that uh, that Rashi points out at the beginning of, of Parshish Vayikra, Vayikra el-Moshe, that every prophecy that Moshe received was one of Chiba, of endearment. The Medrach says, how do I know that the Torah is given through a language of endearment, of care? And it quotes this Pasek, it says, The left hand is supporting his head, so you see that it's all out of care. So I think that our whole orientation towards the left is harshness and the right is love, it's completely off-kilter. It's true that the right hand is love and it's pure chesed, but the left is no less a sign of endearment and of love and of commitment. And the truth is that it really in, expresses the deepest level of chiba. When the, med, when the medrash is looking for, where do I know that the Torah is all about care? How do I know the Torah was given in a language of endearment? The Torah looks to the left. The smolo tachat And then the yimino t'chabukeni. Uh, there's more to be said about this midah, but I, I just think that, that it's important to realize, maybe a, a, a takeaway before we move on to tomorrow's midah. That if we're trying to emulate God, if we're looking to the world and we're seeing that Hashem manifests himself in everything as ultimately supporting of life, even if it comes with tremendous strength, comes with tremendous courage and valiance as a warrior might, if Hashem is ultimately expressing himself with an underlying supportive love that manifests through all of the wars and all of the efforts that he will put forward in this world we need to take that into our own lives. So in other words, if we are gonna set set out upon a journey, if we are going to wage the wars of God, so to speak, and we're gonna take upon ourselves the mantle of truth, the mantle of doing what's right, and fighting for the values that we see as being important, we need to take as our first step along that journey that we are supporting life in doing so, that we don't accidentally go along and trample the very thing that we're trying to support, right? And that we are, that we're actually nourishing life rather than squashing it under the you know the powerful feet uh, of our courageous warrior horse, right? So that's the first step of, of gevura, to appreciate that that gevura kind of cradles life rather than steps all over it. Let's talk a little bit about tomorrow's Mida, so because we won't have a chance to meet tomorrow. Uh, and the next nida is gevura gvura might within might. So the warrior expressing itself within the warrior. What, what would that actually mean, right? So you've got a warrior, right? You've got this entity. You've, when we're relating to this as God, right? God fights his wars. He's courageous, full of power. <coughs> what does it mean to for a warrior to have that aspect of of gibor within himself? So very well known mishnah and Pirkei Avot tells us that azoh gibor hakovesh et yitzro. What is the true quality of a gibor? What does it mean truly to have inner strength? It's someone who conquers his own drives. Right? Hakovesh et The commentaries there all say you know various uh, explanations along the same theme, which is that you know a warrior can conquer things on the outside, but true givura is the ability to take control on the inside to take you know, control of those battles mm-hmm. which nobody else can fight. And so the first step of Gvura Sheva is realizing that there's within strength is reserve, that sometimes the, the, the deepest expression of inner strength and character is being, knowing when it's appropriate to hold back the, from the fight, right? where sometimes even though a fight may need to be fought, you're not necessarily the one to do it or right now might not be the time. Like the Gemara says that a person should not start up with a rasha, at a time that the time that the hour is working for him. In other words, there are times in life where it's not appropriate to start up with a rasha, to start up and to, you know, to start rebuking a wicked and evildoer, even if what they're doing is wrong. It might not be the right moment. And so the aspect of, of Givura within the Gibor is that even though the gibor is setting out on that journey, it is going out making sure that they are going to cradle life. They're not going to squash life. The question also needs to become, is now the right time? Is it going to be the greatest expression of your gura to go out and wage that war, to fight for those values? Or will it be more courageous, more an expression of your strength to hold back, to not speak, at that moment, right? To to have that level of reserve. There's a beautiful Gemara uh, which brings out this point very strongly. Very famous Gemara as well in in Samach um, Yoma, Amad Alif. The Gemara is talking over there about why the Anshe Knesset HaGdola received the name that they did. Why do we refer to the Anshe Knesset HaGdola by that name? The men of the great assembly. The men of the great assembly were the mo- one of the most incredible groups. Of, of scholars in all of Jewish history, right? Ezra leads back the Jewish people to the land of Israel and they reestablish, they're their kind of fortifying the entire structure of Jewish living after 70 years abroad, thrown out in the exile in the land not our own. And the men of the great assembly come together and they structure many of the, of the aspects of Jewish life that we're familiar with today, right? They, according to our tradition, they're the ones who set in stone the Tanakh, the 24 books of the Torah, they, they codified all of the brachot that we say every single day. They wrote you know, many of the texts that we read until, until this very day. So why, why were they called the Anshe Knesset HaGdola? The Gemara says an amazing story. It says as follows like this. It says, the reason why they were called Anshe Knesset HaGdola is because they returned the crown of God back to its appropriate place. What does that mean? So it says as follows. We know if you look in, in Sefer Dvarim, Moshe praised God using the following three descriptives. So he he described Him as Akel, Hagadol, Hagibor God is the great, the mighty, and the awesome. The great, the mighty, and the awesome, right? We evoke these three languages of praise every single day, right at the beginning of Shemone Esrei. This is how we enter in, right? We don't use any other descriptors, only those which are utilized by by Moshe Rabbeinu. Before his death in Sefer Dvarim. The Gemara says an astounding thing. It says that for hundreds of years we had been saying and describing God as Akel hagadol ha-gibor Yirmiyahu comes along. Yirmiyahu lived through the destruction of the temple. He was carted off. He was wrapped up in chains and carted off to Babylonia. He lived through the most horrific period of Jewish history. And Yirmiya came along, and every day they're saying this bracha, And Yirmiya comes along and he says, I don't understand. There are idol worshippers dancing, having orgies in the middle of this Kodesh Kadashim. Where is Hashem's Nora? Where is the awesomeness of Hashem's power? I don't see it anywhere. What I see is the the source of being, the creator of the universe, and his most special, most valued, most treasured location is being trampled at the feet of the most horrific things. Where's the Nora? Where is the awe? Where is the incredible manifestation of Hashem's power? So Yirmiyahu made the most incredible step. He crossed off the word Nora from the daily prayers. No more Nora. HaKel HaGadol HaGibor. Finished. We don't call God Norah anymore. And the Gemara later on says, the next little piece in the Gemara says, how was he allowed to do this? And it says, well, they knew that Hashem loves truth above all. Now, the most important thing to God is truth. He wouldn't want us to lie. I mean, it's one thing to claim that God is Norah, but if we're not seeing it, you know, like the Pasuk says, emet me truth grows from the ground up. If we're not seeing it on surface level, we can't claim that as truth. Right? It's, it's, it's very much an empirical thing so they got rid of Nora Daniel came along right? Daniel lived he grew up, he was a youth in the time of the exile he grew up in Babylon right, in Nebuchadnezzar's palace, famous story read the book, it's a, it's a great book Daniel comes along and he says there are these terrible idol worshippers who are enslaving your children God Iye where is your might? Right? Where's that gvura? Where is that strength? The power above everything else. Daniel takes the mo- the next most incredible step and he scratches the word Gibor from the daily prayers. No more hakel hagadol haGibor, just hakel hagadol. Says the Gemara, the Anshe Knesset HaGdolah, this group of of Tamid the uh, the Anshe Knesset HaGdolah, the Sanhedrin of Ezra came along. And they said, Daniel, yermia, you completely misunderstood it. And as they came back into the Gaula, and you could say that maybe this is a perspective that they were only able to have after they came back from the from the and they returned back to the homeland. You know, like they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. Maybe they could only see this from the broader, from the from the you know further away perspective that they had gained. The Gemara says they said, Adraba, Zohi Gvurat Gvuroto. It's the exact opposite of how Yirmiyahu and how Daniel thought. It's not that this is a lack of Gevurah. It says that very restraint on God's part was his Gevurah. It's not that he was lacking in Gevurah by not responding. The very lack of response on God's part is his Gevurah, says the Gemara, because shekovesh et kaso, that God... So to speak, he overran, he over, you know, controlled his anger, his natural response that he would have had. What does that mean? It means that, what do you think God should be doing when the purpose of creation is being trampled underway by the people who undermine the entire value of creation? You know, as far, again, we can't talk about God's nature. There's no such thing. God is because he is. But if we're going to talk about how Hashem is manifest in this world... God's most precious entity is being dragged away into exile, right? The most horrific things are being done to them. What should God's response be? What would any human being do if their most precious, their most beloved was being dragged through that? Of course they would fight that war and they would die trying. But as the Pasuk in Eicha says, as Yirmiyahu really expressed, that he was saying, (laughs) Natati ad yedidut nafshi b'kaf that the way God described it was, I gave over the beloved of my soul into the hands of my enemies. What greater strength is there than to realize that the only way for my children to learn the most difficult lesson that they can learn is to have the ultimate restraint possible, to realize that now is not the, last, the time to teach them this lesson. If I jump in right now, they'll never learn. Right? We've all had that experience. Right? If you jump in before the lesson is fully experienced by the students, then they just have the information. They don't have the newfound awareness that you wanted them to achieve. And so Hashem is doing the exact same thing. Of course, you could jump in and save the Jews from the Babylonians. It would be fantastic and they'd all be happy again. But what, why do you think they're in exile in the first place? You know, I think they accidentally ended up over there. You know, Rav Noach tells that story of uh, you know a fellow who who walks into yeshiva, totally secular, and he says, what do you mean? I know God exists. Terrible car crash, you know, the car flipped off the side of the mountain. Thank God everyone survived. And Rav Noach turns to him and he says, yeah, it's amazing. You know, you got saved from that car crash. Who do you think put you in that car crash in the first place? Right? And we don't realize sometimes that we're in that situation to gain a new awareness, to understand, to absorb a new experience. And if God comes swooping in at the end and saves you when it's still premature, it hasn't had the ultimate manifestation of the lesson that was meant to be learned. And so the Anshe Knesset HaGdola are called the Anshe Knesset HaGdola because they return back a deeper and far more profound understanding of what Gevura really means into its proper place. And that is that when we say Akel HaGadol HaGibor V'Hanorah we're identifying it's not that Hashem comes swooping in and saves the day at every last moment, although, of course, He does that as well. The Gevura that we're noting is that even in times of darkness, we understand that the very fact that it's dark right now is because Hashem is holding back the ultimate light, the ultimate love that should be expressed, that Ahavat Olam, that God truly has for us, and that it's only being held back so that you can continue that process of growth. I, re- I read over Shabbos a beautiful um, uh, piece from Rav Cook, Rav Avraham Yitzchak Cook, the first Chief Rabbi of, uh, of pre-state Israel. They published a beautiful book of, of his teachings called Yesh Lach Kanfei Ruach, uh, and it's a collection of, of very powerful teachings about about selfhood and, and remaining true to one's own identity. And there is a piece in there that he says that, that sometimes a person feels a tremendous darkness after a spiritual attainment. Mm-hmm. After reaching uh, you know, a, a peak moment, a climax in one's growth and development, there's often a void that follows, right? There's the, the removal that kind of fills that void that, that you had this incredible experience. And he says, why is that? Why is it that we would go through a tremendous peak – and then suddenly we wouldn't have that. And he, he asked the question another way as well. He says, why shouldn't it be that when we have an incredible experience, it stays right there with us, right? You had an amazing Pesach, you unlocked incredible freedom, and three days later it's like you forget what that even meant to us. All of a sudden we're sleeping in, 11.30, waking up, you know, the, your learning times are completely off kilter. What's going on? And he says that what's going on is, is that what happened over here is that the Nishama, a person's soul, right? the full capacity of the person's identity, is truly far beyond what you can taste right now. And the truth is that when, whatever you experienced when you had that spiritual attainment, that experience itself was only a faint glimmer of what you actually achieved within yourself. And what you're feeling is all of the space between, with, between what you thought you attained and what you actually did attain. And there's this entire space now that you need to kind of fill up and reach what you thought was the bar of your own experience needs to reach what your neshama is now holding at. And it's moved beyond the level of, of the human consciousness to retain. It's living an entirely different realm. And in a sense, that's kind of what the gavura we're talking about over here is. That the, the elements of the neshama are not fully manifest within the life of a guf. Because if, if we had the full experience of the neshama, we truly wouldn't be able to, to live the life and make the, the meaningful choices that we're able to, right? I mean, think about it. If we were fully cognizant of the neshama, shenatata and this incredible purity that lives within us, we couldn't sin. Like the Gemara says, the Darshan in the Pasak, Yamima Sher Tomar, inli, behem chafet. Days, there will be days that will come that people will describe them as undesirable days. Says the Gemara in Sanhedrin, this is talking about the Emota Mashiach, Undesirable days, the days of Mashiach. So the Gemara, of course, because the truth is going to be so blatant, so clear to us, that your choices won't have the same degree of meaning. You won't be able to have the same achievements that you do now when you live in a time of Choshech, where every choice is entirely balanced out. And you really could see your life going great in either direction. You can really live with your own delusions and believe that you're heading on the right path when really you're heading to your own oblivion. If you didn't have that opportunity, your choices wouldn't be as transformative for you. And so the Gevura of Akadosh Baruch is that restraint to hold back from manifesting in the world. And indeed the restraint of our neshama is as well to hold back from the full expression within our bodies so that we have the opportunity to level up to what our actual potential really holds itself at. And I think that this is probably the lesson of Gvura Shubi If we want to be the truest warrior, we need to understand that sometimes we need to hold back. Sometimes we need to hold back in areas that we think are the right way to go. We think that these are going to be good things for ourselves. We need to know when it's appropriate to act and when it's appropriate to hold back. Like the Shmuel says in Pirkei Avos, uh, it's actually not Shmuel, it's, uh, I think it's from Lazar Ben, ben Azaria says that he studied all of the different the wisdoms and he found that there's nothing as good for the body as silence. Right? Silence, being able to refrain sometimes, opening yourself up to allow somebody else to step in, to fill the space that you've created for them. Sometimes that's the greatest way to achieve what we need to achieve as a keyboard And so... I would just say that that's probably as we go through Shabbos, we think about, we think about, uh, you know, what it means to be a gibor. These aspects really need to be at the forefront of our of our thinking. Number one, that whenever we're fighting, whenever we're involved in the in the ultimate conquest of trying to achieve our own potential, trying to connect to a kadosh baruch Hu, we need to know that we're our orientation is towards nurturing life, cradling life, never allowing our fight to get in the way of life itself, and number two, knowing that sometimes self-restraint is the deepest aspect of Gevura, and that when we see that in God, we need to emulate that within ourselves, that if a Hash- Baruch Hu can hold back for our own greatest good, we should surely do the same, and we should find that strength within ourselves and that own recognition of, of our own potential. To realize how much more we have to go, that if our neshama is holding back for us, it's ultimately in order to, to light the way, to show us in what direction we're meant to go. And as Rav Cook says over there, that if a person is feeling that darkness, feeling that negativity, it's ultimately a guiding post for where he's supposed to go, because it's that void that is specifically where you need to work on filling with your own light. Uh, so we'll wrap it up over there. Thanks so much, everybody, for, for joining. It's really been a pleasure. And uh, if anyone has any questions, I'll stick around. Otherwise, Shabbat Shalom to everyone. Have a wonderful Shabbos. It's been a pleasure to seeing everybody. And uh, all the best.